Hi, and welcome to the Young Family Small Business Podcast, the show that deep dives into conversations with experts in small business, raising a young family, or are shining examples of mastery in both. My name is Ben Walker, and I'm the founder of Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants, and the host of this podcast. This episode is sponsored by Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants. We've worked with thousands of business owners since we started in 2013, and we're best known for saving our client base a total of $17 million in tax and counting. For every dollar of tax we proactively save a small business, Inspire donates a day worth of access to life-changing food, water, health, or sanitation services to a family in need. If you're interested in speaking with an accountant to see how we could help your business, head to inspire.business forward slash chat. I want to welcome our next guest, Shivani Gupta, to my podcast. I met Shivani through EO, an entrepreneur's organization in Brisbane, uh, where I joined just over a year ago. And uh, my interview with Shivani was was actually quite deep, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, I, I absolutely did. And um, yeah, fascinating lady. So Shivani started her career as an engineer and followed the footsteps of her father and grandfather. She's the first woman in her lineage to work and sees being able to work as a privilege. She went from being the youngest and only female in her division and within seven years to holding leadership roles in corporate Australia. Inspired by her trip to Nepal, she left the corporate world and started her own business, Mentoring Leaders, which she's been running for almost 20 years, working with over 100 companies. She specializes in mentoring leaders to engineer their careers, communication, and confidence. Her why is to educate 10 million women and girls around the globe by providing wisdom and clarity in action. She's spoken to over 150,000 people in 18 countries as a global keynote speaker. She's mentored over 1,000 people as an executive mentor, and she's the author of eight books, including a number one Amazon bestseller. And she also hosts a podcast called Ask Shivani, uh, which I'm actually being interviewed on uh, next week. So uh, pretty cool. And yeah, I welcome Shivani onto the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much, Shivani, for joining me on the podcast. I've, I've been looking forward to this episode and, and having met you probably uh, maybe about six or seven months ago. Uh, but thanks again for joining. So it's such a pleasure. Awesome. Uh, the first question I always ask is, tell me about your family. Family. Well, it depends on where you start and stop then. So I'm married. I've been with God for coming up to 17 years. We married for 14. We have two great kids. We've got a 12-year-old daughter, Shanti. And we have an 11-year-old son. They were pretty close together, considering I left having kids till a little bit later. Um, and we have a puppy and two cats and a bunch of fish. I've got my parents uh, that live in South Australia. Scott's father's just unfortunately just passed away, but he grew up in Port Macquarie in a regional town in New South Wales. So that's us. Uh, he's an only child. I've got a lot of extended family back in India, but only one uncle and a cousin in Australia. But, yeah, everybody else is still back. Back in India. Yeah, there you go. And, and how are you going at the moment communicating with them, given you kind of can't get back there just yet? Yeah, look, it's, it ebbs, ebbs and flows. I used to go back every year. I've always led a group of uh, women that we've always gone and done some volunteer work in India for the last uh, almost 10 years. And that's been difficult to not use that opportunity to A, go and do something that's really close to my heart, but also be able to go and see some of the family members as well. Last year was really tough for them because there was a lot of deaths. I've had four people in my direct family pass away. 
couple of them older, um, uncles and aunties, but also a cousin that was only five years older than me, uh, pretty healthy, you know, went into intensive care for COVID and never came out. And I grew up with him in the same city, so I knew him really well. So last year was really horrible and really tough and even early this year. Now India seems to be getting vaccinated, I think, on the PM Modi's birthday, they vaccinated 26 million people in one day, which is like crazy considering we can't get all our vaccinations sorted for a country of 26 million people uh, yet. And um, so they seem to be a little bit more hopeful now that the last couple of conversations I've had with them. Yeah, there you go. And and you've spoken about your children, I think, every time we've met. So I'd love to sort of, if you can share, what, what do you do with them to keep that relationship, yeah, I guess, going well? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I'm I'm a big one for rituals. I think that rituals are really important in life uh, for me, but also us as a family. So one of the rituals we have is, you know, growing up in an ethnic family was a lot about food. Mm. So we've got our daughter when our trips got cancelled through COVID to go to Europe for a month. So she, um, in March of 2020, came up with a little whiteboard, a little magnetic whiteboard, and we've got a two-week roster of food. So we travel around the world uh, every night and so uh, and we repeat that menu every fortnight. So we've got Turkish and Japanese and Indian and Italian features twice because we all love Italian food and we have, you know, a Thai night. And so we revolve all around the world every, every fortnight. We have one leftover night. Tonight's Aussie night. So we've got a potato bake and sausages and burgers happening. And so um, that's one of our rituals. So we try and make a big deal about going, oh, what's for dinner tonight? Okay, they're like, yay. Or they're like, oh, I'm not sure I'm really into that anymore. We're a bit off Turkish at the moment. But, you know, so that's a really, really important ritual is to cook together, eat together, talk about our day together. We do the good, bad and the ugly every night at dinner tables. One of the things I know that I met you through EO or an entrepreneur's organisation is EO is really well known for a thing called Forum where seven or eight people get together and they speak in a confidential space about what's happening in their business and their, their family and their personal. And I loved it so much. In fact, um, I met this great guy through EO. I'm not sure if you've met Carlos uh, Santoro, who is a pretty amazing guy. And he was running a forum, like a mini version of a forum with his family. Yeah. And I love that idea. So for about 15 months now, we've, we run Forum every Sunday. Every so week. So we call it a family meeting. Yeah. So our kids are really funny. And, you know, Ben, you and I know that we speak about, you know, it's not about giving advice. It's speaking from experience. So I love when my 11-year-old goes, and in my experience, <laughs> I think this, and I'm trying not to go, oh, that's like yeah. so funny. I'm not you've got like, oh, 11 years under your belt. But um, we try <laughs> we try and run like a mini forum and everybody's got to take turns facilitating. And at the moment, Scott's stuck across the border with his father's passing and we haven't been able to get him back home. So he's been gone for almost six weeks. And we've still done that ritual every Sunday or Monday, one, one day a week to just hold that family meeting in terms of what happens. And we have little actions that come out of it. You know, we need to do what? And how the pet's going and how's school going and how's social stuff going? Are we doing too much, too little? So everybody has some input into how the family is run. I could go on, but I think the main thing for me growing up was treating my kids, whether they were two or now 11 and 12 or whether they're 20, I've always tried to treat them like a bit of an adult. Yep. They'll go and get haircuts and the hairdresser will say, you know, how do you want the haircut? I'm like, well, you're not cutting my hair, you're getting his hair or her hair. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I've always let them make some decisions within reason. Um, moment, you know, around um, <laughs> within reason, because um, my son got all these lines cut into his school, into his hair, and then the school went. Uh, can't do that. I'm like, okay, so we will let the hairdresser know you can't do lines unless it's at the start of the school holidays. Okay. But within reason, just letting them make decisions on what they want to eat, who they want to hang out with, how they want the haircut, you know, and just letting them live by some of the not great choices that they make sometimes too. Mm, yep. I think we, we learn from that, those the most, I feel. Yeah. Uh, there you go. And, and I know this one's a bit tricky probably right now with Scott over the border, but um, I guess when, when he's home, what, what do you guys have um, in terms of rhythms to, to keep your, your marriage strong? Yeah, look, it's a really good question. When Scott and I first met, we were both, um, you know, I just, um, my early 30s, he was in his mid-30s. And um, one of the things that was really obvious to us, having had long-term relationships that hadn't worked, was that this idea of a contract and so we have an annual contract. Oh, wow. One page. We sign it usually on January 1 or 2 each year. And it's pretty simple. It just kind of lays out things that we want to do individually in that year. Yeah. It lays out a couple of things that we want to do as couple that year. And, you know, for example, Scott, a couple of years ago, wanted to learn how to be a yoga teacher. He's in corporate role in HR. So he said, I'm not leaving my corporate role to become a yoga teacher, but I want to deepen my practice. Mm. And that meant that he was going to be away six or eight weekends in a year um, on top of everything we both had on in our diaries. And so it was about supporting him in that contract for and his goal for that year. And so we kind of lay out some of our expectations and we kind of not naive enough to think that just because you're together, you're going to be together for 30 years. I mean, a lot of people are together for 30 years, but they're not really happy. And so, you know, how do we kind of recommit to each other for a year? I find it you know, I can't imagine being with anybody else, but I also don't want to go, yes, I'm with Scott till the day I die. I go, well, that just sounds so much. Whereas <laughs> if you say, look, I've got a contract with him for a year, I go, of course, I'm, I've got a year to work on it. It makes me, and it kind of makes us be sharper, I think, and say, well, how do you actually want to hang out together? Like, are you really committed to this or are you just going to get a bit lax about, you know, oh, yeah, we'll be here forever. So if you really want this to work, you've got to work at it and in it and on it. Um, we also both love coffee. Um, I try and not drink more than one a day, but uh, we have a ritual, particularly since COVID, as we've both had to work and really now loving working from home more and more, we will go out for a coffee four or five out of seven days. So we will either drop the kids and literally go and get a coffee or on the weekend, we'll just say, see you later, guys. We're off to the farmer's markets to get a coffee and some fruit and veg. And we'll just have these little mini dates in there. Um, and then we try and have three or four weekends away here and we do quite a lot of stuff with our family, but uh, we, we're pretty also aware of the fact that, um, again, having kids had a little bit older is that, you know, our kids will grow up, they will move on and do, do their own thing and really um, not to wait for that to nurture our relationship and to work through it, you know, in little micro moments. Ah, so many good tips already and we're, we're only just started. So, so thank you. And, and on the topic of family, um, you know, we were speaking beforehand about you being the, the first female in your family to actually work. Would you be able to share the, the background of that? And then what made you decide to change that? Yeah, look, absolutely. I'm, I feel so, um, I don't know, lucky, privileged, not sure what the right word is there, Ben, but my parents moved from India to Australia when I was 11. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, old enough where I can still read and write the language and understand my culture and my background. And I saw my mum who went to college. I saw my aunties. I saw my cousins, but none of them work. They were kind of, if I can almost say, they're married. And a lot of them made choices not to work. I've only got very few people, um, certainly in my direct lineage, nobody else's 
had the opportunity to work or um, certainly even run a business. And so when I moved to Australia from a very early age, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, it works, you know, it pays the mortgage or it does this. Like to me, work is a real privilege. Mm. And I just think that not only have I had an opportunity to get part of my education in India, but, uh, you know, a lot of my education in Australia. And if you speak to my dad, who is probably, you know, my number one fan and vice versa, probably, you know, if you say to dad and, you know, look, why did you, Satish, move to Australia? He'll go because I wanted to give Shivani the same opportunities as her brother and her uncles and her dad. And so he's a really pro-women's, very, very big supporter of girls' education and, um, and a really big supporter of me. So I, I feel like I've got that privilege in terms of what I have and, I, you know, I want to make the most of it. And, you know, people say, well, can you wait to retire? I said, I don't think I will retire. I might work in a very different form, but I'd like to keep working in some form because I love working until the day I die, hopefully, you know, whether it's in small form or whether I'm volunteering or whatever form it might be in, I don't see myself um, stopping and just kind of playing golf or whatever the analogies might be around. That doesn't work for me at all. Yeah, uh, there you go. That's uh, that's really cool. Um, and, and then I guess building on that question, um, would you be able to sort of share what your journey was pr- professionally? Yeah, look, I, like a lot of young people, didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I just spoke about the fact that I'm um, really inspired by my father. And uh, my grandfather, who also was a really big advocate, I was the first grandchild and mum's side of the family, and I was very close to him. And um, both my grandfather and my father were both engineers. So I went down that path thinking, I don't know what I want to do. And so I um, followed their footsteps, different type of engineering, but studied engineering. And I think I must admit, as I've got older, then I can sort of see the fact that I think I was trying on a bit of a mission to prove that I was really smart in Australia. You know, I'd copped a bit of racism and I was on a mission. So I took on a double degree and I, you know, I wanted to do this and I wanted to achieve this. And, you know, in hindsight, I think some of that was coming from a bit of fear and also just an unknowing of what I really wanted to to do. So I started off as an engineer and realised very quickly a couple of years in that I probably wasn't going to get into any leadership roles for a very long time. And I was that typical Gen Y, which I know a lot of business owners complain about now and organisations <laughs> about they want everything now. Well, that was me yep. um, at 21. And um, so I did an MBA and then I sidestepped into sales and marketing roles. Mm-hmm. And then because I had a bit of the technical and the non-technical and some people and skills and I had an MBA under my belt, that really started to sort of skyrocket my career. So I started to find myself in where I was started, you know, um, being responsible for small teams and bigger teams, uh, moved around a different uh, number of different organisations through manufacturing and mining and ended up in a pretty senior role with um, with BHP Bellaton when the two companies had merged oh. um, and ended up working in their shared services division as a senior leader and um, really had an amazing boss, had amazing opportunities, but really didn't enjoy being on the road all the time. I was in my late 20s and I was like, um, and I, you know, just wasn't in a great relationship. And I took a month off to travel through Nepal just around September 11. So a lot of people had cancelled their trip. A lot of people don't know that the Nepalese family had been slain uh, around the same time by cousins. So a lot of people were fearful of travelling. But I checked with Australian authorities and they said that um, it was pretty safe to travel. So off I went to Nepal and I'm trekking through and I realised that everybody else had cancelled their trip. So it was me, myself and I with a Sherpa and a guide and a couple of other things. It was a bizarre trip. But for me, probably it was the first time I had walked in silence for hours every day we would walk from one village to another I'd meet some beautiful children and families 
I'd meet, you know, families that lived on the poverty line that would invite me into their huts and offer me, you know, like if there's five of them, they would just make a sixth portion and uh, of just rice and water and salt. And I never knew whether that was their first meal or their last meal. And they were so generous with a stranger who was just happened to be passing through the village. And I felt very touched, very moved, very deeply through this experience. I ended up crying a lot on the trip. And I, I felt like a really some sort of a transformation had begun for me. And when I came back from the trip, I really found it difficult to stay within my corporate environment. And also I found it really difficult to stay in my relationship. And so I quit both of those. It's probably the best way. I resigned from both my <laughs> long-term relationship and my long-term career path yep. and started up my own business. So I started off... Um, I don't even know, it was, you know what it was called, but I was just going to consult to a variety of companies that wanted to do good with people and maybe have some impact. And that business slowly grew and I started, I became a speaker, uh, speaking at different conferences and um, a mentor for emerging leaders and leaders in businesses uh, and an author, I wrote some books. And then a few years ago, uh, there was an opportunity to enter the wellness space, which is, uh, was growing astronomically and still is. And so I bought into a wellness business and fixed that up and then have grown that, grown that business. And um, yeah, that's kind of, you know, 18 years in a nutshell. Yeah. Wow. Uh, thank you for taking us through that. That's um, yeah, no, pr- pretty impressive. And, and so what does your sort of day-to-day, week-to-week look like now? Like where do you sort of spend your time or, or focus? Yeah, that's a that's a really good thing. I um I get so many of these tools from EO. I'm a big fan, like you. So one of the things uh, I read this great book a, a couple of years ago called The One Thing, right. and so it's really about you know focusing on the one thing a day. So I try and have um almost like a mini purpose or a mini focus that is going to be the big thing. You know, once a month, for example, I'll record my podcast. That'll be the focus for that day. I have a day where I just basically do Q&As and, you know, with clients where um, my website's called Ask Shivani so they can ask me any questions or they just set up some times and we do some of that. So I have these like mini things that I focus on um, each day. It was also interesting making moving states from the wellness business um, a couple of years ago. So those businesses are in another state and I was really worried about those businesses going down in uh, retention of staff and uh, the revenue and, and the profitability of that business. And interestingly, that business has grown tremendously since I've left. And so my team always pay me out about that. They're like, oh, thank God we are empowered now. You're not you know, rocking up with coffees and wasting our time. I'm like, thanks a lot. But one of the things that's been really interesting to learn on is kind of you know, this notion of, I remember Michael Gerber coming out with a, the e-myth and saying, you've got to work on your business, not in your business. But it's been very interesting. And this was pre-COVID that I'd moved. And so Working remotely, working on a business that's a bricks and mortar business and a service business whilst living in another state and doing everything electronically has been really interesting for me because it's made me really think about what I'm working on and to work on a few more strategic things and not get so worked up about little operational stuff because I'm not physically there. And then obviously COVID uh, had and continues to hit us in different forms. And so uh, it's been really interesting for me. I've learned so many different lessons in the last two and a half years and still continue to do about working remotely with bricks and mortars and teams. Um, you know, I've got 52 in that team and in that business. And so to be able to run that whilst living interstate has been fascinating for me. So I tend to have some time divided to that. 
I have a bit of time divided to me. So I'm a bit of a nerd. I really like reading. Um, And so I have just really simple rituals about just going for a walk once a day for 25, 30 minutes with a puppy or one or two lots of Pilates a week. Pretty simple. I'm not a runner. I don't do ultra marathons or anything like that. Just the idea if that makes me vomit, Ben. I just go because, you know, I've got so many friends of mine that are runners. I'm like, you should take running. I'm like, you should take up coffee. Like, really, we should (laughs) not tell each other what to do because I'm never going to be a runner. And so I do some really simple stuff. I read a fair bit. I really like picking my kids up. Uh, Mm -hmm. I want to be around doing the mundane, boring stuff. So I will usually structure my days where I can do out of 10 drop-offs and pickups, and obviously sometimes there's more with their sport, but I want to be there for 70, 80% of them. So seven or eight times I want to be there at drop-off, getting a coffee, pick-up, and find out from them in that first half an hour what they're up to, what they're doing, what they hated, what they loved, and I structure, try and do sort of work between those hours and a little bit outside of that. And then I've also obviously still got my mentoring and speaking uh, business, and I'm just starting the start, very early stages of another book. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I spend my time. Yeah, very cool. And, and you, you mentioned that you've learned a heap in terms of re- remote work. Um, that, that's a topic that a lot of our listeners and, and clients actually are sort of dealing with and, and sort of, I guess, in a way, learning through as well. Um, what would be your maybe top two or three suggestions or the most powerful things you've found with that remote working and remote management of a large team? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I think the first thing I've found is when you're when we're so used to doing things, I remember. Let me just take an example. When we were when I had pre kids, so I used to work a lot more hours than I did now, mm-hmm. and uh, I actually produce less work. So when I look at the work that I produce now, I produce. You know, I didn't have my other with business with fifty two staff, so I just had one business with a couple of staff, mm-hmm. and I was working more hours and I produced less. So you, then you have kids. Then I then we had kids, and then you go, oh my god, I have to come up with a bit more, being becoming a bit more efficient. I want to be around for the kids. How do I do that better? How do I structure my life? Yada, yada. And so then you start to look at productivity tools and how you could do things smarter and what you do. So I think the first thing that I've learned out of the remote stuff is, particularly for those people listening, if they're the business owner or the director or, you know, they've got a remote team is, you know, what are you really good at? Like, what are the skills that you have that you are really awesome at that you bring to the table, whether it's your business or you work in somebody else's business? And so for me, that skill is mentoring. One of the things I'm really good at is getting people clear on what they need to do and uh, helping them take action. So um, so that's a skill I have. So I went, well, that's the part A, I enjoy the most, and B, that's the skill that I bring in. So some of the leaders in my team that work for me don't have that skill. But a lot of my, um, the leaders in that particular wellness business it's they're very good operationally. In fact, they've been hired specifically to run operations and be that implementer of those direction or the ideas. And so, great. I go, okay, fantastic. So how could I structure my day where I bring mentoring to the table, not once a month, not once a fortnight, but daily? Mm. And how could I actually mentor them on a daily basis that helps them get clearer and go faster and take action? So then I, would, I just designed a series of questions with them um, and they will have a couple of different questions for the three key leaders that I work with. Yep. And I use the sporting analogy a bit that, you know, it's difficult for a coach to work with every individual in whatever sporting team, whatever code. And so often you'll see those senior leaders in those sporting teams that the coach will really inspire and make sure that um, he or she mentors uh, or coaches, whatever word you want to use there. I use the word mentoring because you're using sort of past experience of what you do. 
And then you want to translate that into some action. And so if I can inspire my top three leaders, then they'll inspire the rest. So often I'll talk to my three key people and say, you're my client. My clients are not external clients. My clients are the three of you. Yep. Your clients are the rest of the staff and their clients are the actual clients that we treat and who come into our bricks and mortars businesses. And so just being really clear about what you bring to the table, what you're going to do that. Um, I think the other thing that's really important is the rhythm of how you work. And so I've tried, you know, I don't love meetings, so we call them rhythms. And one of the things we talk about in rhythms is that there's a daily rhythm. So as I spoke about with my family, there's a daily rhythm of what dinner's on, you know, for for tonight, travelling around the world. So we call it, you know, travelling around the world dinner. And so then you need to make sure that the ingredients are there and the online shopping's been done and you already got all of that in there and nobody's rushing out on that day to to go out and do that. Same in the workplace. So what's our daily rhythms? Well, what, what I want to know daily is where are our numbers daily? What are the big bottlenecks that you've got ahead of you for the next 24 hours? And what guidance, what action do you want to take? And let's work through those issues. And most of the time I listen and I might say, have you thought about what about this? What about this? But most of the time I find that they problem solve things anyway. And so my job as a leader is to hold space, but have a rhythm around that where that happens daily. And those meetings, um, for me, I do them between 20 and 30 minutes. So my key part in that business is, you know, 90 minutes a day and having those rhythms of talking to them about what they're going to focus on, giving them clarity, helping them take action, and then literally getting out of the way. Yeah. Wow. So do you invest that 20 minutes times by three of your key team? Uh, every day. Every day. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. And, those and three because questions. there are seven-day business in there, uh, we do Tuesday to Saturday. Yep. So they're on a Tuesday to Saturday roster. I don't do the Sunday and Monday. And my three key leaders work in that roster. And so, you know, they know on a Saturday I'll be between sports and there'll be kids in the car. And so they know on the Saturdays there'll be calls with the whole family with earphones in or me, you know, standing outside a basketball stadium or whatever it might be. But we just stick to those rhythms of those 90 minutes a day maximum. Sometimes they're 10 minutes each. But most of the time it's between, you know, 30 and 90 minutes every day. And just getting them to think, because they know that rhythm's coming up, they'll think about what some of the issues are that they need to resolve, where are they stuck, where they need some guidance, and then we'll use that as a sounding board session. Yeah, cool. Very, very cool. Um, and did you want to share more uh, maybe around your, uh, I guess, your mentoring side of things? Like that seems pretty, a pretty big part of what you do uh, in, in not necessarily your, your wellness business, but the broader sense. Yeah, that business is called Leadership Engineers um, because, you know, the idea is to help people engineer. Um, And really my my niche around that is career uh, and confidence. So really helping people engineer their their careers. And a lot of people think about their career as their next job or they think about their next business. So I believe that uh, when you're looking at your career, you need to look 30, 40, 50 years out. I know you're in that business, you know, been around helping people around uh, their, their wealth creation and wealth protection as well. And, you know, we're not going to get our super in Australia till we're in our late 60s, maybe 70s in the future. And so, you know, I say to people, look, if you're 35, you've got a long way to go to work. And um, you can't just think about what I'm doing in the next year or two. You've got to think about where you want to be long term. And so then we help them engineer some of their careers around that. And we also really, I'm a really big advocate of um, somebody who's really struggled with self-confidence at times. And I see so many people, and I'm going to generalise here, but more women than men. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly that feel like that imposter and feel like that they're not good enough or smart enough to apply. And so often they've got the, their career mapped out and great opportunities, 
that they miss out or they don't even apply. And so I really want to see more women get into more leadership roles. And so we run certain emerging leading programs and uh, really try and support people to get into the right leadership roles in businesses as well. Wow. There you go. Um, and that um, that thirty to fifty year runway is pretty like a pretty exciting way to think about a career. What are some of the the questions that you ask the person, or um, or the things you sort of take them through? If you've got maybe like a, a formula, like maybe not a formula formula, but a, yeah, some sort of process. Tell us about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I find that a lot of people talk about passion then, yeah. and they say, you know, I'm passionate about this. But passion also is often comes across as somebody something very fleeting. And one of the things I talk to them around passion is my business was actually called Passionate People for a long time, for over a decade. And um, I talk about the word passion and I break that up into pass, I, on. And so that if you really want to look at leading a legacy, you know, you'll often go back to things that you were passionate about. Um, If your relationship isn't working, you go back to how your relationship started. If you're not that passionate about your career, you go back to what got you into that career in the first place. And so it's really about reconnecting to who you are. So, you know, if you're still passionate about that, using that passion as a non-fleeting, non-emotive, the way that our society tells us about, but really to connecting it into pass sight on, and what will that look like over 20, 30, 40 years? What will they want to pass on? What will they want to leave as a legacy? And so sometimes depending on the person or people that I might be working with, it's a meditation you know, because they're so in their head. So the more head people are, you want to get them out of their head and I'll get them to close their eyes and start to visualise living that passion out, living that legacy out. And um, other times I might get them to write it down. Or um, I know that um, a lot of uh, psychotherapists and psychologists have talked about, you know, mandalas where you draw things out and you do some mindfulness practices around getting that out. But I call it, you know, what you want to do longer term can't just come from your head. It has to come from your soul. It has to come from your gut. It has to come from your heart. And, you know, you want that to come, that ideas to come back out of that. And then you want to reconnect your head with it. And so um, we, we talk a lot about processes of, you know, we're all here to do something big. And one of the things you need to really determine is what that is. Um, so whether you want to call that purpose, whether you want to call that passion, whether you want to call that your why, whether you want to call that uh, your legacy, you know, whatever the word resonates with you, but it's not a short-term fleeting thing. It's a long-term, I'm here on the planet, I think, to do this. And so you want to get that part of it clear and then you want to link that up into your head. Most of the people I work with are super smart, but where they get stuck is living in the smartness, living in the ego, living in the head, rather than really connecting to something deeper. I'm not sure if that's answered your question. Oh, it is. That, that makes so much sense. Yeah, can absolutely relate to that. And even over the last sort of you know, 12, 18 months, I've, I've asked myself similar questions. Um, yeah, through a, a few challenges I've had. So yeah, no, really, really, really good share. Now, we did connect through EO and I wanted to ask you, given I think you've been in there for a few years now, like what, what, is your, what has been your experience with EO and how has that changed your life? Yeah, look, I had never heard of EO, um, which stands for Entrepreneurs' Organisation. And um, I, um, my bank manager at the time, almost five years ago, introduced me and he said, have you heard of EO? And I went, no. And so I met some people through it. Some had were pretty new to EO. I was part of EO Sydney when I lived in the Hunter. And now I bet I've been living in Brisbane and part of EO Brisbane. And to be honest with you, Ben, I went into it to 10x my business. Mm. I'd heard people had um, grown their businesses. And so for me, I went, right, I want to 10x my business. I want to learn everything I can 
and apply it. Uh, I'm a bit of a nerd, as I said earlier. I want to done lots of learning and working with lots of amazing leaders around the world and read a lot. And so I wanted to apply, particularly EO was framed as a learning organisation for me. And I went, great, I want to go in there and learn it. And so I entered it. I started going to as many different courses and online Zoom meetups and face-to-face meetups and I joined forum. I basically said yes to everything, particularly for that first 12 months. And one of the things I noticed is within three or four months, I started to notice that my business had started to improve, but it really made me think about how I was living with my family. Yeah, wow. And it also started to really make me think about who I was. So EO has four pillars, and so it'll divide it into your business, your family, your personal, and your community. And um, I've always been very community conscious, but I've never really thought about bringing that as a real pillar into my business. And so, I mean, it's definitely made me a better business person, I would, um, I would like to think, but I think it's made me a better parent. And I think EO has also made me a better human, I would hope. And it really helped me really accelerate the work I wanted to do in community. Uh, I have a real passion for educating girls in third world countries. And I did little bits of it. You know, I would sponsor one girl, we'd sponsor three girls. Oh, great, we sponsored five girls and I wanted to do something at scale. And so one of the great things was linking how to grow a business and linking a percentage of the profits into that became a really big goal for me. So I found EO really helped me connect my my community piece and having that as a pillar, like not as a little side extra thing, but as a quarter, like, a you know, really one of my four pillars and connecting my business and connecting my family and connecting me into it. So I can't describe in words how much value it's added to me and continues to add to me. And uh, I have some really deep friendships who I've, which I've had for 10, 20, 30 years. But, you know, there are some people I've met in EO who I might have known for two years or three years that I feel like I know almost as well as people I've known for 20 years because it's a non-superficial, deep conversation a deep look at yourself where people are there to really support and help you. I've been part of lots of different business networks, but I haven't really found anything. Uh, and I'm not good with fluffy. I mean, I can bullshit my way through lots of different things, but one of the things I, you know, that, that I really seek and I really value and I really, I, I really have looked for that, those deeper conversations all my life. And, um, you know, I know that they take a long time to develop, whereas I noticed I would come into EO and all of a sudden, within five or 10 minutes, I'm having this really deep conversation. So that fills my cup up. That fills my soul up because I feel in a safe space where I can uh, be who I am. And I think coming also from an Indian family where there's not a, people, a lot of people running their own businesses, you know, even the people that are working and they're very highly educated, lots of doctors, lots of lawyers, lots of engineers, uh, lots of architects. You know, I'm also almost like one of two people that started up their own business in all my extended family. and so. I felt a bit weird, you know, people didn't get, I didn't get why I quit the corporate job. I just knew I had to, I knew I had to go and do something else. So it's so nice to be surrounded by a tribe of people that, I don't know, that are crazier than me, that are running like eight businesses. Somebody I met running eight businesses. I'm like, okay, good. I'm not an idiot. I'm only running two. You know, (laughs) this person's running eight. Um, This is good. This is my tribe. Anyway, I could go on, but it's really supported me. It supported me a lot in, you know, in, in me being a human. And this morning I was on a women of EO call for Australia and New Zealand female um, members. My God, that conversation was deep. My God, um, it's probably the deepest conversation I've had all month. And, you know, lots of laughter, lots of tears. And I'm so great, grateful for that community. 
it does some amazing things. Uh, every, every month I go to a forum and, and these, you know, people are sort of sharing their, um, the, the things, their experiences and what's, you know, I guess what they're looking for help with. And, and, you know, they think that, um, they're the only one, well, sorry, the, the misconception might be that they're getting the value, but I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, that is so relevant for me in this bit of my life. And it's just um, massively transformational. So um, yeah, really, really cool. All righty. Well, um, in terms of if people want to reach out to you or follow you, um, uh, we, we, we spoke about there's a couple of ways um, that they could sort of check you out. Uh, the, the first one is the Ask Shivani podcast. Uh, which we'll we'll have a link to in the show notes, uh, and also Shivani's website. Could you tell us about the fifteen minute chat that uh, that you I guess you you offer? Yeah, look, I've worked with a business coach, and they were going, "You're crazy! You shouldn't be offering fifteen minutes thing. You've got to value your time more." But as I said earlier, I like deeper conversations, and I'm not going to enter a relationship with people until I know that there's some resonance, unless I feel like that there's some like values. Um, unless I feel like there's some sort of a connection, like a deeper connection. So what I wanted to do was just to say, hey, um, it's called Chai with Shivani because I love chai and I have a pot right here next to me, Ben, and I drink sort of herbal teas all day long. And so it was just to say, hey, if you've um, got some stuff, particularly around the niche, around your career, around your confidence, you know, you might have a great podcast guest that you want me to speak to, you want me to be on your podcast like I am today. So if you just want to jump on a call and say, hey, look, this is what's going on, I can then take you through some of the work we do uh, or perhaps I can just point you in the right direction in terms of, you know, what you want to do. Um, I had somebody that reached out this week that wanted a speaker specifically on health and I said, look, um, I don't talk about health because it's not in my top three passions. It's important to me. But I don't prioritise it. However, you know, I've got access to maybe five or six amazing speakers on health. Mm. And so, you know, let me just point you in the right direction. And one of these five people will so do your conference justice. So, yeah, if you are kind of thinking about an area that you need some transformation, just hop on the link, book 15 minutes, bring a chai or a coffee or a water with you, and just let's have a chat to see where you are and what you need. Wonderful. All righty. Well, um uh, again, th- thanks so much for your time today. Um, I've I've learned heaps. I've got uh, notes for, for myself, but also that I'd like to sort of share uh, with the the listeners as well. So, um, again, really really grateful to to you, uh, and hope to chat soon. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks for having me today. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with today's guest, you can find their contact information in the show notes in the podcast section of our website at inspire.business. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the Young Family Small Business Podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. Also, do join our Facebook community. You can find that by going to youngfamilysmallbusiness.com. And if you're interested in speaking with an Inspire accountant, head to inspire.business forward slash chat, where you can book a free 20-minute strategy call. And lastly, to catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on my Instagram, uh, which is the at symbol Ben Walker CA, or one word, or at Inspire underscore accountant. Thanks again, and see you next time.